just a few verses this morning, and uh, we probably won't get up to verse 7, um, and that's okay, but we'll, we're going to read up to it. James chapter 2, verse 1, you remember we covered a couple of these verses last week. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, and that means like his hands covered with rings, not just one gold ring on, he's in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. He's looking shabby. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand here, or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble, I'm sorry, that noble name by which you were called? Let's pray. Father, first we do want to pray for Shaler. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your good hand that's been upon her. We thank you, Lord, for the heart that you've given to her, the desire, Lord, to serve you in these uh, places that desperately need the gospel. Lord, we also thank you for just making her calling uh, uh, more sure and uh, as it pertains to her giftings and uh, her usefulness for you and what that's going to look like. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that she has with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship. And, and Lord, we do pray that you would just bless, Lord, that. And Lord, that there would just be this good relationship that develops. And um, uh, Lord, that she would be useful for, to you, Lord, Lord, with all the training that she's had. And that she would be able just to supply and to equip and to bless, to comfort, to encourage, Lord, uh, those that she is uh, working with and delivering supplies to. Lord, that your good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, would just go into these places, Lord, where it's difficult, where it's hard, and that, Lord, that we trust in our God, whose hand is not too short that it can't save, or ears not too heavy that it can't hear, Lord, the cries of the people who call out to you for mercy. And Lord, would you bless, Lord, our time in your word. We ask this morning, uh, Lord, uh, we come to you confessing that we... Pe- Lord, we have uh, just vestiges of prejudice and partiality, Lord, still remaining in us. Lord, we do judge by outward appearance. And God, uh, we ask that you would root that out of us, Lord. You would help us, Lord, to see people through your eyes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. So as you remember, James is continuing to show us what true faith looks like. You remember true faith in chapter 1, it responds rightly to trials. It does not, in the midst of trials, it doesn't shake its fist at God and curse God. But rather, it calls out to God for wisdom. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with this. This is hard. This is difficult. And I'm looking to you to give me wisdom from your word and wisdom from those around me. To, uh, and I know that you give it liberally. You give it without reproach. And so, Lord, would you give me the wisdom I need to walk through this well? And that's what true faith does. It looks to God. It doesn't curse God, but it calls out to him in the midst of our trials. And it trusts him, and it looks to him for the help that we need. And then, you know, there toward the end of chapter 1, James says that, you know, true faith 
It, it affects every part of us. When, when, we, when, we, when the Lord saves us and he, by his, uh, we're brought forth by the word of God and we receive the implanted word and we're brought into union with Christ by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His Spirit comes and He makes residence in us. And that's a wonderful, that's a miraculous thing that takes place there. And so now we begin to get the mind of Christ. We begin to get the heart of Christ. And it affects every part of, a, of our lives. It, it affects our tongues, right? You know, it controls the tongue, James says. And he's going to talk more about that throughout the book. It means that we don't just let things rip out of our mouths. We don't just say the things that, that are on our mind. But our, our thoughts, our words begin to be governed by the Lord and we begin to speak as he speaks and in our longings we don't long for the things of this world and those longings they begin to pass away they begin to fall off and old things begin to pass away they don't have the satisfaction that they they once had they don't have the draw the pool that they once had and it also affects our hearts we we begin to have compassion for others as James says and you know the true and pure undefiled religion is you know is visiting the widows and orphans in their need and that means that the things that matter to God matter to us. And James, he continues in chapter 2 to exhort his readers and to exhort us of that need to, to have compassion. And, and the, the believers that James is writing to here, remember these were Jewish brethren that he's writing to, they've been, they've been scattered abroad by persecution. And, and, and he, he hears that they're showing partiality in their church services and uh, to, to the rich folks. They're making much of the rich, rich who are coming in and they're despising and belittling the, the poor folks who, who are coming in their midst. And that's what he says there in verse 1. He says, do not hold. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And he gives that illustration. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and, and to the poor, you stand here or sit at my feet. And so there was this partiality that was taking place within the church service, within the, the gathering of God's people. And, and James is my brother, and James is tender. James is very, very pastoral. He's not up there finger pointing. He's not up there yelling and screaming, but he cares for these people. And he uses those terms, and he'll use it again in, what is that, in verse, uh, verse 5. He says, listen, my brethren. And that, that, that's helpful to you and I. As we're dealing with hard things and we're dealing with issues, with maybe relational issues, we're talking with one another, and maybe we've got to say hard things to one another, there's, there's, a, there's a word that's fitly spoken. There's a right way to say things. It's not with finger pointing, it's not with anger, it's not with harshness, but it's with tenderness and with love and with care. It's, this is really, James is a good example of what Paul talks about, speaking truth in love, right? My brethren, I've got some hard things to say to you, but I want to I convey it in a very loving manner. And that's a good example for you and I. And I think we could appreciate better what's taking place here in chapter 2, at least the first 13 verses that James is addressing here, if we kind of get our hands better wrapped around the, the first century world that, in which the epistle of James was written. You remember the early church was made up mostly of converts from Judaism, right? These were Jewish people, and they were steeped in Judaism. And, uh, you know, they'd heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them, maybe by Peter, 
uh, or by John and, 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 uh, or by Stephen, and, and the Lord saved them, right? And, and so they were converts from Judaism. And therefore, because they were converts from Judaism, it was natural that the early church, when they first began meeting, they met in Jewish synagogues. The Jewish synagogue, of course, the Sabbath, they met on, on Saturdays. And so there was no conflict. The early church, it met on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day the Lord was resurrected from the, from the grave. And, but, but, but this happy relationship between Judaism and Christianity, it didn't, it didn't last very long. As the difference between Judaism and Christianity became more clear, they were, uh, the, the Christians were, basically booted out of the synagogues. You remember when it became more like with Stephen's message was in Acts chapter 7, he begins to address the Jews and he begins to say hard things to them. He calls them stiff-necked and uncircumcised and heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and on. And you remember they hated that and they, they were incensed by that. And you remember what did they do to Stephen? They stoned him, right? And so it wasn't very long after the early church was established that this relationship with the, with the synagogue and Judaism, it began to fracture and to break down. And the Jewish believers were driven from the synagogues and they began to meet in homes. Now, the question is, whose homes did they begin to meet in? Not everybody had a place that was large enough to accommodate the growing early church. Most people, you remember in that culture, were poor. But there were some that were wealthy. And that's where they began to, to meet. They began to meet in the homes of their wealthy church members. Uh, they would have, you know, these homes would have uh, maybe a large patio that they could meet on or an atrium or upper rooms which could accommodate, you know, a large assembly. You remember in the New Testament, we're told that... Uh, Philemon, right in the book of Philemon, little one chapter book. Uh, he was a wealthy man. He was well. He owned slaves, and uh, but he had his own house. It was a large house, and it, we're told that the um, the church uh, of, at Colossae met at Philemon's house. Uh, you remember the uh, couple Aquila and Priscilla, right? We're, we're, we know that they were wealthy also, and the church of Corinth met there at their in, in their home. Uh, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, as Paul's giving his greetings and all that, he says to greet Gaius in the church at Rome, met at his house. Then, you, of course, you had Lydia, and she was, you remember, she was um, a wealthy woman. She was a seller of what? Do you remember? Dye, purple dye, purple, purple uh, fabrics, and she, she, could, she probably owned the first Joanne fabrics, right? It was called Lydia's fabrics back then before it got bought out, but... Uh, the church at Philippi met at her house. She had, a, she had a large home. And so when these churches assembled to worship, visitors would show up. Maybe it was somebody who was, you know, coming from Colossae to Philippi. It was a, they were in the church at Colossae, but, you know, they were there traveling on business or whatever it might be. And so they would show up, you know, for the church service, and you would have strangers who would come in, and you would have among those strangers and new people would be poor people, and you would have wealthy people. You'd have people from all different walks of life. You might have Jews show up. You might have uh, you know, Romans show up. You might have Greeks show up. You might have all different types of cultures and people who would show up. 
And evidently, James had heard. I don't, this is not a hypothetical problem that he's addressing. This is a real problem that's going on in the, in the church. And, and it, he's heard that the church members were showing partiality to those who were coming in who were of high standing within the community. Uh, and and uh, they were you know, well-dressed and they were wealthy. And, and they, were, they were showing this partiality based upon outward appearance these shallow external uh, things. And when they would come in, what they would do is they would, you could automatically tell someone who looked to be well off, right? I mean, they, it says they dressed nice, they had the gold rings all over their fingers, right? It was obvious that they were affluent. And so they would say, well, you come right up here because we want you to have the best seat in the house. And and that, you know, they didn't have amplification back then. They didn't have speakers and they didn't have all that type of thing. They didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have heat. And so there were good places to sit. And the closer you could get to whoever the speaker was, that was one of the best seats in the house, unlike today, which is in the back of the house, right? As far away as you can get from the speaker. So they would put them in the best seats. Or if they were sitting on the patio, right? I mean, if you could get them near the breezeway or an opening, that was a good place where there was some airflow. Or if they were sitting in the upper room, right? Where would you want to be in an upper room where you got candles? Because most of the church services were at night because Sunday was a work day. So where would you want to be at in an upper room? You want to be by a window. That didn't fare, well too, fare too well for Eutychus, though, did it? Poor old Eutychus, you remember in the book of Acts, he was saying, well, Paul went for a long time. You think I go for long. Paul went really long. And poor old Eutychus fell out the window. But, but there were best places. You remember the rest of the story. He went down there and healed him and brought him back to life, which was a wonderful thing. But there were better seats. And they were showing preference, partiality, favoritism to these people coming in just based upon these shallow externals and placing them within you know, the best places in, in, the, in the room. And we might be tempted to think that you know, uh, the church today, that we're, we're way more mature, we've advanced, we're sophisticated, and, and, and that we don't have that problem of partiality. But, but their problem is our problem, too, and that's the truth of it. I don't know. I would venture to say that most of us in this room, and it's sad to say, but it's the truth. Most of us in this room, when we see a person and we see the color of their skin, that we make a judgment. We make a judgment based upon color of skin. We still have prejudice that, 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 that rises up within us that's still there. God is still rooting that stuff out. We make, we make uh, judgments based upon the way people look. We make judgments on the way people talk with what kind of an accent. Oh, that guy, listen to that little draw he's got. He must not have a brain in his head, right? We make those judgments. And he must be from Kentucky. No, he can't be. He's got all of his teeth. Those type of things, you know. <laughs> But, but we, we engage in this sin of showing partiality when we look at these shallow externals, education and wealth and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we, we, wealthy people, educated people, well-dressed people, pretty people, right? I mean, when's the last time 
<clears throat> that you bought an album, uh, you know, album, I don't know what you call them today. What do you call them? CDs or, you know, I don't even know on the, on the whole iTunes thing and all that. But when's the last time you bought a track from someone who was just dirt ugly, right? I mean, you, people, you look for pretty people who have pretty voice. I mean, you obviously don't want to, who's going to buy a song if you can't sing, right? But not very many people that are unattractive make it very far among the rich and the famous and all that. And we do base a lot on externals. And we do that in the church too. We can, we can be guilty of that. We can be tempted to do that by, by, you know, putting people that are well educated or people that are, that are wealthy in prominent places in the church simply because they give a lot of money or because they're considered successful by the world standards. But, but we've overlooked the most important thing, which is their soul. Where are they at with Christ? Do, do they meet the biblical do, do they love God? Do they love his word? Do they love his people? Do they love the gospel? You see, that's more important than what your stature in life might be and your season in life. We can engage in this sin by avoiding certain people in the church, those that we might deem undesirable or difficult, and we avoid them. Well, James begins to reason with us and to show us why partiality is wrong. And we'll probably just get through the end of verse 4 here today, and I won't try to go any further. He says in verse 4, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves when we, when we engage in that kind of behavior, when we judge based upon uh, these shallow externals, and we prefer one over the other because of these shallow externals, have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And have you not become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, James is saying that we, that Christians act like non-Christians when we make rash judgments about people solely on the basis of shallow externals like their appearance or social status. He says we're, we're acting like, you know, we're acting like unchristian, we're non-Christians. When we do that, we place ourselves in the position of being what? What does he say we place ourselves in the position of? We're, we're being judges, right? And he's not talking about a good judge here. He's talking about a bad judge. He says you're a judge with what? What kind of thoughts? Evil thoughts, or some translations say evil motives. Either one works well. And when we make these kind of assessments, these kind of judgments, based upon these shallow externals, let's say we got a guy coming in or a gal coming in, and they're not dressed very well. And, and we automatically assume, well, they must not really know much about the Lord. Maybe, you know, maybe they got a little smell to them. Well, they must not really know much about the Lord. or I don't think I want to mess with them, you know, because that's just going to be hard to deal with that person. I don't think I could get over the smell, and, and I don't think I could get over their breath or whatever it might be. And they're just not worth it, you know. And, and, um, and yet that person maybe has, has come in, and they, uh, the Lord is drawing them. The, the Lord is moving in their heart, and, and maybe they don't know him yet, but, but, but they're here and they want to know him. Maybe they're not here because they want a handout. But we automatically assume that whenever we see someone who looks that part, right? Maybe they just need someone to reach out to them and to love on them. 
and to show them the, you know, the love of Christ and to talk to them, you know, to put the arm around and sit side by side and not, not to judge them based upon the shallow externals, but, but to look at them as, as one soul to another soul. And so oftentimes our, our judgment isn't right. And we can do just the opposite too. We can see someone who comes in and they're well-dressed or they're well-educated and, you know, maybe they even, maybe they're even they're well-versed in the scripture. I mean, how many times that happens? People come in and they know, they know the word. But I'll tell you what, James would say, listen, many of them, they're hearers only and not doers. They're like the Pharisees. They get all this knowledge which puffs up, but they don't know Christ. It hasn't changed their, the gospel hasn't changed their heart because they haven't truly believed in him. But yet they spout all this information, and we think, oh my, wow, boy, I could really use you. You could really be a help to the church. But we haven't gotten to know them. We don't, we don't really know where they're at with Christ, in these, these shallow externals, and we've got to be careful about them. And, and so the, the, the issue that James is is that when we do that, that our judgment is not always correct. Oftentimes it's wrong when we judge a book by its cover, Right? It takes time to open the book and to read it and to get to know it before you can make a judgment call. And so he says that we become judges with evil thoughts, with evil motives. And, and so as you think about being a judge, and we're imperfect judges, right? We're, we're far from doing it. Well, who is the perfect judge? God is, right? He's the perfect judge. He, he never judges wrongly. And how does he judge? Well, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 10... It says that for the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor does he take a bribe. It doesn't move him a bit. I mean, how do you bribe the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? How do you bribe a God who, who, who created everything, who owns everything? You can't bribe him. He shows no partiality. That's the heart of God. He is completely impartial. You remember when uh, Samuel, God had sent Samuel to Jesse's house to uh, David's father. And uh, because, remember, the people chose Saul. And what, how did they choose Saul? What, 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 was, what was his qualifications? Tall, dark, and handsome, right? He was on the cover of GQ magazine in Israel. That was the qualifications. And God was going to raise up a new king. A new king of his own choosing. He sends him to Jesse's house, and he's parading all the sons before him. And he had seven sons, and uh, that he paraded before him. And the Lord said to Samuel, "He said, he said, because Samuel's like, this is the guy right here, because he was looking at the outward. And I think it was the, Eliab was the son that he was like, yeah, Lord, I think this is the one. And the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance, or on his height, or on his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees." Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks, what's he look on? The heart. That's what the Lord looks at. God looks at the heart. And of course, when Jesus came into this world, he revealed to us that same truth. He revealed to us that the Lord is indeed impartial, isn't he? I mean, you ever just stop and take time to look at the genealogy of Jesus? You go back to Matthew 1, or was it Luke chapter 3? There's a little bit there. And you look at the genealogy. Have you ever looked at all the limbs on that tree? There are some messed up limbs on that tree. Some are really nice and pretty, but most of them are just crooked, bent, warped, 
There, there are some ratty looking limbs on that tree. But he had all kinds of limbs on his tree of the, uh, of his family tree. You remember he had kings, right? David was on his tree. He had commoners like Mary and Joseph, right? Just little podunk commoners from down in, down in Bethlehem. He had prostitutes. Who was that? Rahab, right? That fits into his, she fits into his genealogy. He had people who committed incest. Do you remember who that was in the Old Testament? Judah. The line of the tribe of Judah. Judah himself, the head of the tribe, committed incest with Tamar. He had idolaters. He had this one lady who was an idolater. She worshipped the gods of, of, of Moab. Do you remember who she was? Ruth, right? Little Ruth figures into his genealogy. He had Jews, he had Gentiles, he had all types, types of limbs on his tree, on his family tree, which shows and reveals to us the heart of God and his impartiality. He's not just, Jesus' genealogy just didn't come from the high and the mighty, did it? It came from all spectrums and stratas of life. And then take time to look at where Jesus was born. Was he born in Jerusalem? No. Was he, how about Caesar's palace? I'm not talking about Vegas. But, but, but I'm talking about Rome. Was he born in Caesar's palace? I mean, where, this is the king, the king, the king of the Jews. Where are you going to have the king born at? Um, Podunk, Bethlehem. That's where we're going to have him born. Wow. And, and, then, and then where did he grow up in? Did he grow up in Jerusalem? Did he grow up in Rome? Did he grow up in the best schools and all that? Where did he grow up? And what did they say about Nazareth? Has any good thing come out of that place? Right? This, this is where our Lord was born. That shows the heart of God. And then when you look at his ministry, we see that Jesus didn't show partiality, did he? You remember that at that time, the Jews and Samaritans really didn't have anything to do with one another, yet they were related, right? And the Jews would literally go around. If they had to travel north, they would literally go the far way around so they didn't have to set one foot into Samaritan territory. But what did Jesus do in his ministry? He went right into it, didn't he? The woman at the well, she was a Samaritan, right? The lepers, right? He ministers to some lepers, and one of the, some of them were, were, were Samaritans. He went right. He ministered to Jews. He ministered to Samaritans. He, min, he ministered to, to Romans. He ministered to sick. He ministered to healthy. He ministered to tax collectors, adulterers, centurions. He, the whole spectrum he ministered to. Even the religious leaders had to confess there in Luke chapter 20, they said, teacher, we know that you, that you say and teach rightly and that you do not show personal favoritism, but you teach the way of God in truth. So even the religious leaders, under, look, this guy, he doesn't show any partiality because he's showing us the heart of God. I think one of the parables that he told illustrates this well. You remember the parable of the wedding feast there in um, uh, Matthew chapter 22? And you remember what Jesus said in in that parable? He says, you know, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding, right? So those servants, they went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, right? 
And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So when it comes to people, calling people to himself, the Lord is completely impartial. Good, bad, it doesn't matter what strata, what spectrum, what, what, what part of life they've come from. doesn't matter their education, right? I mean, think about the disciples when he called them. Most of them were what? Uneducated fishermen, right? But he also had a couple tax collectors, that's exactly right, who were rich. All stratas of life. And James says that when we show partiality, we act like judges with evil thoughts, with evil motives. What kind of evil motives? And this is where we'll wrap it up this morning. We see a rich man come in to our assembly in the modern-day church, and we think what? Well, if you're the leaders in the church, you might be tempted to think this. Oh, wow, Oh, no more budget troubles, right? Man, the offerings are going to go up, and you know, when Dan and Tom get up here and talk about it and give the fourth Sunday prayer for the offerings, you know, we can praise the Lord. Woo, we got, you know, the offerings are great, and we got this guy, he's coming in, and no more budget troubles. Man, we better be nice to this guy, nice to this gal, so that they stick around, right? We, we, don't, want to, we don't want to rock the boat. Now, that's showing partiality. And what if it, if, if, what would it be like if that person who comes in and they've got all this money and maybe they're giving generously to the church and, and yet they've got some sin issues in their life? Would we not be tempted to show partiality and maybe not say hard things to them? Well, if we're showing partiality, we would. We wouldn't say hard things to them. But James says, no, we can't do that. We need to care for the soul, regardless of the out, outward appearance. That's one one of the reasons why I'm grateful that your, your church elders, we don't. I, I don't know how much Joe Toma gives. I don't even know if he gives. I, I don't know who who gives what. Bill doesn't know. Tim doesn't know. The, the only time that we look at any information uh, when it comes to giving is when we're making decisions about people in leadership. If we're considering someone to be a deacon or maybe to be an elder. All we want to know from Cindy, because Cindy's got all the information. If you want to know the dirt, she's got it all on every one of you. I don't know what it is, and she doesn't tell me. But, and that's why she's in Hawaii this week, because she knows. But, um, and all we want to know from her is, do they give, and do they give regularly? I don't want, we don't want to know how much. We just want to know if they're, if they're faithfully supporting the church that uh, we're considering them to be a, a leader in. That's all we want to know. It's not our business how much they give. And regularly is really a kind of a loose term because we realize some people, some people might be contractors. We, we realize, you know, it's feast or famine. So, we, you know, we, there's, there's some leeway there as we look at that. But we don't. We don't look at the dollar numbers, you know, the, the amounts that you give and all that. Because here's the truth of it is that, is that we're people just like the rest of it. We're all in the same boat together. We're, we could be very tempted to make bad decisions based upon knowing that kind of information. So these guys have purposely said, look, we don't want to see that because we don't want to show partiality. We want to minister to everyone on the, on the same level. But, but we can be tempted. I mean, we, we can have these evil motives. Or maybe it's just uh, looking at people for, for what we can get out of them. 
You know, somebody comes in and maybe they're a, they're a doctor. I'm like, oh, but I got some issues. Well, I can really talk. I'm glad you're here and, and, and you're going to, you know, you use them as a means to an end or they're a lawyer or, or, or they're a business owner and you want to connect with them or you want to network with them because they just become a means to an end for you so that you can take advantage of them. You can use them for your advantage. That's showing partiality. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not, that's a wrong thing to, you know, know what different people do in the body and their, and their work and their jobs, and it might help you if you build relationship with them and, and uh, for your business or whatever. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that kind of a thing. But being careful that we're not using them as a means to an end, that we really don't care about their soul. That's the issue. And, and then, then on the other side, we can see the lowly person who comes in, you know, the, the person who's from the wrong side of the tracks, We've got the tracks that run right up here, you know, right on Sierra Highway, right? We all know the right side and the wrong side. The cool side's this side. <laughs> and we, we can look down on one another based upon where you come from. And we can say, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I want my kids to play with your kids, you know, and... And because you're from that side of the tracks and uh, you're, you know, you probably are immoral and we make all these type of judgment calls and, you know, you're probably a lazy sluggard because you live on the east side and you, and you can't work hard enough to get a good job, you know, to get a house on the west side. I mean, you know, we make all these clumsy, clunky, foolish distinctions that, that, that have no bearing whatsoever on the soul of the person and upon the love of Jesus Christ for that person. And we're all guilty of it in many different ways. With a single mom who comes in with three kids, you know, latched to her side, and or someone with addictions who comes in, or someone who's got multiple marriage problems, right? And they got this 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 bucket, you know, this bag of uh, issues hanging around. We can think, oh my God, you know, because you, you all are a very um, uh, loving body. You're you're very affectionate. You're you're very warm. And you go out of your way. I don't think I've ever heard in the past several years anybody say if they come into Brian, wow, this is a really cold church. Matter of fact, I really hear the opposite. Sometimes they're like, hey, back off. <laughs> but as we do that and we approach people, you're, you're not just there meet and greet, but you try to, you're trying to get to know them a little bit. You're trying to you know, uh, find out a little bit about them, especially if you stay and have a little bit of you know, snacks with us this afternoon. People are going to be you know, just wanting to get to know you. And as you get to know them and you find out and people begin to open up to you and you're like, oh my goodness. And you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't agreed to you. And, and, and you're like, you know, you're like, gosh, I think I'm going to stay away from them and, because, uh, you know, they're just going to be high maintenance and I think I got some other people I'd really be hanging out with. And, and, and you're like, hey, have you ever thought about maybe going to such and such church? I think it's just going to be a better fit for you, right? And we do that, church. We do that. And James says, listen, when we do that, we act like judges with evil thoughts, with evil motives. It's not Christ-like. God is impartial. God loves, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say God so loves this group or that group. You, you all realize when we get to heaven, and this, I'm going to stop here. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be an east side and west side. Do you know, listen, that, that there's not going to be 
government project housing for some of us and mansions for others? There's not. Do you know that there's going to be black people in heaven? There's going to be white people in heaven. There's going to be Hispanic people. There's going to be Asian people. There's going to be Middle Eastern people. There's going to be all types of people in heaven. And there's going to be uneducated people in heaven. There's going to be people that are brainiacs in heaven, right? But here's the thing. The cross is the great equalizer, isn't it? It puts it all at the same level. We're all going to be in the Father's house. We're all going to be worshiping the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world for our sins. And so James says, listen, because of that truth, because of who you are in Christ, and if you are truly in Christ, then we should be be having the mind of Christ, right? And if this morning that's convicting to you that, man, I know where I'm showing partiality because, listen, my wife and I, we talk about this multiple times throughout the past couple of weeks and it's probably bad for her because she knows where i'm teaching and we talk about it and she's like why do you bring this up because now you want to talk about my sin and 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 i love talking about hers more than i do mine and and (laughs) but listen we, we struggle with this in our own in our own hearts and this is convicting it's challenging and it's good because i want to have the mind of christ i want to have the heart of god toward i want to see people as he sees them as souls, sinners in need of a Savior, regardless of what strata they're from, right? Let's stand and go out with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time and your word this morning. Thank you for our time of just worship you and through song and through the word. And Lord, we do pray that you would take these truths And Lord, that you would root out all vestiges of partiality and prejudice that remain in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your ongoing, patient, loving work in us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have your mind, your heart toward people, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.